Hi, everyone. It's Sarah. Um, as you're about to hear, we recorded this episode uh, Saturday morning of last week before we hosted Faded States, our first phone banking session um, in which Faded Mates listeners like you join Jen and me and best friend Kelly and a bunch of other authors to make phone banking calls to the state of Kentucky um, as part of the Indivisible Project and for Joe Biden for president. It was an awesome time. About 40 of you listeners turned up to join us and to celebrate democracy with us and to get off the vote in Kentucky. And we had such a good time and did so much good work that Indivisible asked us to host another uh, call-a-thon phone banking session on this coming Saturday. So this episode will drop on uh, Wednesday. And on Saturday, the 3rd of October, we will be hosting another Faded States Call-A-Thon at 2 o'clock in the afternoon Central Time. We'll be calling North Carolina to support Cal Cunningham for Senate. And we are very, very excited about it. Uh, We hope that you'll join us. Again, it's Saturday, October 3rd at 2 o'clock Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, and we can't wait to see you all there. There will be prizes and special guests, and we're really excited, so we hope you'll join us. Links for that are right at the very top of show notes. Please uh, click on the link and sign up at Indivisible. It's super easy. It's really fun to do it with a bunch of other people who are like-minded romance lovers, and um, Jen and I can't wait to see your faces. Take care. I think we really did a good job this week. It was such a delight rereading this book. It really was, right? It really was. I haven't reread this book in a long time. God, me neither. And I really love it. Do you remember? So, oh, wait. Let's introduce ourselves, Sarah. Let's just get right to the beginning and get the good stuff over with. Fine. Welcome to Faded Mates, everyone. Welcome. I'm Jennifer Prokop. I am a romance reader and critic. I'm Sarah (laughs) McLean. And I write romances and I read them. So, Sarah, tell me, I have a very specific memory that I meant to, like, confirm (laughs) about when I first learned about Alicia Rye's books. And my memory is, and if I'm wrong, I'll, like, run this down and put it in show notes, is that I was listening to Sarah Wendell on NPR talking about romances and kind of being like, wait, they're talking about romance on NPR? (laughs) Like, what's happening? Mm -hmm. Because this was, like, I don't know when this would have been. Where I was just like sort of se- still secretly reading romance myself, but didn't realize there was like a romance world. And I think in my memory, she described a gentleman in the street, which is my like a real favorite. Everyone, it's great, it's so dirty. <laughs> um, I I love all of these. These all of her self published books are like <sighs> yum. <laughs> anyway, and I remember her describing. Uh, like it as being like five chili peppers, like talking about like, <laughs> how could we talk about like a heat rating scale? And of course I was like, I like chili peppers. <laughs> and I, I think that's like how I found her books was like essentially through NPR. So yeah. thank you, NPR. Thank you. Uh, so you came to her after I came to her because I fell in love with Alicia's writing when I read her paranormal short 
called mm. Hot for Hades. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which um actually oh, I should it's so good. Oh, it's so good, right? Um yeah. I should have checked this before I got on this morning to record because she pulled it down a year or so back and then sort of had promised that she would re-jacket or re I mean I think mm-hmm. she was doing something else with it and gonna put it back up again and I don't know if she ever did put it back up again but if she did it should be Alicia it sh- I mean Alicia <laughs> we're just two girls standing in front of another girl asking her to put her Hades Persephone porn back up <laughs> we are not just two girls because every time this show comes up on like Twitter Persephone and Hades yeah Everyone who's read it is like, girl, it's so good. It's, yeah, it's so amazing. good. The and also, that is a perfect example of how quickly a novella can world build. Like, it's really excellent. Like, it's so delightful. It's so sexy. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, that so that was my first taste of Alicia. And then I was really hooked. Like, yeah. so I went back and I started reading, and I read kind of everything that she had online, which at the time probably wasn't very much. Like, right. Um, and then I read Glutton for Pleasure, which is the first book in this series. <laughs> um, because, and that came out, I don't know when, this came out in 2015, so I don't know when Glutton for Pleasure came out, but Glutton for Pleasure is the sister, I mean, she sort of tells the story in this book, but. Right. Um, Raina's sister and the two brothers, the two mm-hmm. like Irish brothers who she mm-hmm. falls for. Um, and they have this like menage, like poly relationship, oh, yeah. right? And um, I remember loving, obviously loving that, like super sexy, like hot brother menage. I remember thinking that wouldn't be for me. I was wrong. It was, in fact, <laughs> totally for me. It was absolutely for you. It was for me. Um, and, um, and like, that was delicious. And now, uh, I mean, it, I feel, do we have to say that they're brothers? So, obviously, the streams do not cross. Um, so, but, uh, and then, so it was sort of, I knew Serving Pleasure was coming. Like, I... I had to, I don't remember this clearly, clearly, but I had to have known Um, because I asked Alicia to send it to me at the time I was writing uh, the review column for the Washington Post. I had been writing it for about a year, I think. Um, And I asked her to send me Serving Pleasure to read it for the Post. And prior to that time, and we'll put links to all of this in show notes, the Washington Post had a very strict no self-published books oh, right. um, policy. And the uh, book page had that policy. Um, and I remember emailing my editor at the time and saying, I have a book I want to include in the column. I think it's absolutely remarkable. And I think you want it in the column. Like if the if the goal of that column, and that was the goal I had always been given, was the best three books of right. the month, right? Then it, we would be remiss in not including Serving Pleasure in that column. And he was awesome and was like, we've never had a self-published book in the, col- in the paper before. And I, 
I remember having a conversation basically saying, like, you can't talk about romance in 2015 and call yourselves like a comprehensive, an outlet that comprehensively covers the genre without addressing the fact that a large percentage of romance novels published now are self-published. And stop thinking, everyone, that self-published romance is bad because a lot of the most kind of interesting books that have come out of romance in the last five years, six years, seven yeah, years, ten years, ten years. I mean, like, there's a reason why we started where we did this year. Um, a lot of the most interesting titles that I've read are self-published. And he was awesome. He was, I mean, I didn't have to convince him. So we put Serving Pleasure in the column. And then there was a great piece that came pretty soon after that um, in the post about like where Alicia got, you know, the credit, the credit that was due to her for being the first self-published romance in the Washington Post or not romance, self-published book in the Washington Post. Wow. Um, so she, you know, I really think Alicia is, I think these books, especially these pleasure books, um, I think when she, when she le- they were such a really delicious erotic romance that really changed the way I was thinking about erotic romance at the time. Like for me prior me it's possible. I mean I don't know. Like all of that time is very blurry, right? Like who knows what I was doing, but it's possible that these are the books, and Alicia is the author who showed me that erotic romance was more than a one-handed read. There was sort of, in my mind, like, erotica and then romance, but, like, the the creation of erotic romance as a thing for sure dates to this idea that, like, having a five-chili-pepper book didn't mean you couldn't have really like meaty interesting characters and dilemmas and family drama or you know like whatever else was driving the plot besides this thank goodness right i but this book to me especially revisiting it because of course i read so much and you and you are the same that this is you know this was a thousand books ago for me yeah and so when you go back and i mean and i know that sounds like hyperbole but it's really not, it's not. right it's It's probably more than a thousand books away. And so to go back and reread something that I really enjoyed and then, but have it, you know, have it be better than I remember even. It really holds up. Yes. I mean, I'm unsurprised that it holds up. Alicia is a very, very excellent writer. Um, And, but... There is something so it still feels really modern. You know, it gave me a real I don't I don't feel like at the time I was able to articulate it because I don't think I had thought too much about. Well, like I said, I think for me, this was sort of a this was a new it was opening up a whole new like part of the romance pool for me in ways. But it has a real Charlotte Stein feel for me, this book, yes. like, which is interesting because I always think of Charlotte's books as being like so insular, you know, ballet in a phone booth, kind of like two people falling in love in a phone booth books. Um, but for me, what Alicia really 
captures with serving pleasure more than glutton for pleasure, I think, is this idea of like two people having that deeply intense falling in love with a phone booth experience while their actual lives are still going on. Yes, it's so good. And that is so magical. And it's something that Romance, I feel like the best romance writers are striving for that kind of experience for the reader where like the romance is so central and so private and so personal and so sexy, but also the story and the book and the world building and the writing is complex enough to keep us engaged in a wider way. When I'm rereading for the podcast, there's like me reading because I love it, but also me kind of marveling at how it works. And at some point I was like, how is this working as well as it is? Because, so an essential question you're always asking is, why can't they be together now? Yeah. And here they are together now so quickly. Mm -hmm. And yet we know that it's this emotional reticence that they both have that means they're not really together. And it's so... Sarah, it's so good. It's really deft is what it is because there's virtually no external conflict in this book. What we should do is we should talk about the plot very quickly and then we should – I was like, we're just ranting and raving about how amazing it is. I mean, I feel like that's the theme of the whole season, but yeah. Joy. Joy, 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 everyone. Joy. Always. So talk about starting in the right place. Raina Malik is next door neighbors with a man she's been spying on for a few months. (laughs) But it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Romance reasons. Well, because there's no... Well, there's no space between their houses. There's no... Right. And she can see into his studio. He moved in and he didn't buy curtains. So, I mean, frankly, it's on him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. I think part of the reason it works is because she is kind of horrified that she's spying on him. And so we know that this has been happening, but the night that it changes is the opening scene is our artist who she doesn't know and she's never met. She's lived next door to him for a couple months, but he's pretty reclusive. They don't seem to, like, cross paths in the driveway or at the mailbox. Um, And it's also really interesting because it's Florida, kind of suburban Florida or a small city in Florida, which is also just, like, an interesting setting, I think. Yeah, it took me a while to get there, you know. I was like, where are we? Where are we? Yeah. Because it, again, it feels like like sort of out of space. Yeah. Well, but it's purposeful on Micah's part. He, well, okay, hold on. So anyway, he goes into the bathroom. He like walks away from her, goes into another room and comes back. He is naked and sitting on his couch and masturbating in essentially a way that is just right there for her to see. And she falls to her knees. I mean, at least he showers beforehand. She, like, falls to her knees. Like, I cannot tear myself away from looking at this. And then he, like, sort of gets up and leaves, and she's like, I can't believe I watched this. And then we get his point of view, which is he has been, his name's Micah Hale. He's an artist um, who suffered a real tragedy in his past and is sort of hiding away. He's British. He's, like, hiding away in, in this generic Florida nowhere on purpose. But he has been aware of her watching him the entire time. And he has essentially performed for her. And he can't believe he's done it either. And it is honestly, Sarah. It's so sexy. It is so It's really sexy. But here's the thing. 
I've probably said it a thousand times on the podcast, in the hands of a lesser author. Mm-hmm. Because that moment where she falls to her knees. Oh, like, yeah. It could be. It is real dramatic. Oh, and it yeah. could be, like, but it feels so, like, visceral and, like, yes. intense. And you're sort of like, is this happening? Like, what? What is happening in this book? I think one of the things that she's, Alicia, is so masterful at is this, like, mind, like, emotional, physical connection. It never feels cheesy. It feels, all of it feels so real. The intensity of their feelings and the intensity of their physical response to each other. Yes. It is, oh, oh. I mean, it helps that Alicia wields, um, Alicia wields sex. The writing of sex incredibly well. There are, you would be hard pressed to find, oh, yeah, you know, a, a handful of writers who write sex better than Alicia. I mean, it's intense and emotional and private. And like, you feel like a voyeur when you're reading these, this book. Yes. Um, which I think is in, like, I think is intentional. All of it. All yeah. of it. It's really well done. The the way that they then, like, meet each other, right, is she has gone out on some terrible first date. This It's so, God, it's so good. She's been essentially promising herself she's going to leave old Raina behind and become new Raina, right? Like, do what her mother wants and find a nice man and get married and settle down. And so she's sort of put her past behind, her wild past behind her. Her mother thinks she's promiscuous, but Raina's like, I just love sex. And I love, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with what I was doing, but I, I have to be different now. I'm 32. And so she dates one man a week. She comes home from a bad date and sees her handsome neighbor get in his car. I mean, he has like a man bun and he's like all dressed up. And I'm like, uh, he's, and she follows him in her car. Like a crazy person. <laughs> But it's fine. You're like, and what's cool about, here's the thing. If you follow Alicia on Twitter or if you've ever seen Alicia talk in public, Alicia is very cool. Like, there is a Mm -hmm. very real sense of, like, Alicia, under like, she really has her, like, she's aware of the world and, like, women's place in the world. And she's, like, delightfully funny. And she has this magnificent laugh. And um, you have this moment. I mean, there are definitely moments in this book where this is a great example. Raina trailing this poor man (laughs) to wherever he is going, right? It turns out he's going to an art gallery because he's a painter. Um, And so she's following him in her car. And she, in her head, is like, this is insane. Like, I've crossed a lot of lines with this dude already by staring at him through the window. But also, like, this feels like it's really... This is a lot, even for me. (laughs) I I think something, I'm doing something wrong here. And then, but then she gets there to the gallery and she parks her car and she's like, well, I'm here now. And it feels so, she empowers this character so well because, you know, the choices that, are made are not necessarily choices anybody, you know, ordinary would make. But 
in the moment when Raina makes these choices to get out of her car yeah. after her date and go into this gallery. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for Alicia really taking the finger here too, right? Because she easily could have had it be they were at a restaurant. The date was at a restaurant next to the gallery, sure. right? Yes. And she walks outside. She's had a bad date. She just says, like, thanks, but no thanks to the guy, and then goes into the gallery because she sees him. But, like, that's not what happens here. The intentional choice is to make the heroine pursue this hero. Yes. In kind of a, like, interest in an interesting way that really flips the script on a lot of, like, het romance where like mm-hmm. the hero pursues the heroine so devotedly and like we don't hesitate to sort of like swoon and say oh this is all normal but in in this particular case like the heroine is doing the pursuing i think it's the seed of what eventually will become gentlemen in the street going on here i think you're right because that for me is like sort of the pinnacle of her like super high power yeah right where you know one of the only women billionaire heroines in romance that i can think of yeah 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 who is delightfully like sort of christian gray like and that she just seems to like you know like be beautiful and fuck and doesn't do a lot of work and i'm here for it why should women have to work if men don't she holds enterprises limitedly (laughs) Okay, one of my favorite things about Akira, that's the heroine of a gentleman in the street, is there's a part, though, where her, one of her, like, administrative assistants is, like, pregnant. And you could tell this woman was afraid to tell her. And Akira's like, I'm going to just, like, double your salary and you stay home until you need to. And it's just this moment where you realize... I don't know. I just love that moment. I think Alicia's such a smart writer. I think she really is. Like, Alicia knows what's up. Yeah. She knows the way the world works. She knows the way the world treats women. And she, you know, she doesn't have time for it. And frankly, so say we all. And, like, Alicia's worlds are worlds where women are unashamed. Women make choices that make, frankly, the whole world better. And, like, doubling your salary and sending you home until you're ready to come back to work is what, frankly, we should all be doing when somebody gets pregnant. Absolutely. So, <sighs> sorry, I know there's a digression no, from this No, I book, get it. But I think we talk about how romance is, like, feminist or empowering women. But I think that Alicia's books really write that into being. It's not just lip service. Correct. Including all of the muddy... You know, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing. She sits in her car for 20 minutes before going into that gallery. Well, right. <laughs> in that case, that's a, that's a solid choice. Yeah. But I think that's the other thing. Raina is a woman who her entire life has been working on instinct and it's worked for her. And then she spent a year like with her mother in her head telling her not to go with her instincts. And you really see that her warring with herself as she sits in that car. Well, there's a lot of doubt in this book, a lot of yeah. insecurity on the part of both characters. And in both both characters, there, there are real reasons for this insecurity, which is an interesting way of crafting a romance. But in Raina's case, you have a character who is surrounded by people who obviously love her a whole lot, but who doubt her ability to not fuck up. 
they feel like she's kind of young, like she's still behaving like she's in her early 20s. She's, um, you know, there's a scene where he comes to the restaurant where her family, her family's restaurant, and her sister walks in on them in a back room. And Raina thinks to her, sees sort of censure in her sister's yes. eyes. and realizes that it's not misplaced in the sense that there have been many other times that Raina has been in this back room with men. So Raina is trying to come to terms with who she is when she is a grown-up. And what's interesting is that as a reader, we're kind of constantly given this look at who she believes she needs to be in order to garner respect and authority in some way or another. And the reality is, is that who she was is perfectly fine. Yeah. I think specifically the thing that really was so brilliant is like this distinction, how your sex life is what we're, your personal foibles are going to be what we judge you on, despite your total professionalism you know, I mean, like, we find out later she kept the restaurant afloat mm-hmm. all through her younger sister's, like, teenage years and after her father's death. And, like, no one gives her credit for this. Mm-mm. And it's this way in which, like, any personal weakness you have is what you're judged on. I it, I just really felt this book. I don't know. I mean, it feels very real family-wise as well. Like, this kind of sense. I think one of the things that you see, and then I want to get to doubt from Micah's perspective, but um, one of the things that you really feel when you're reading this book, if you are somebody who has grown up with siblings, Mm -hmm. is this idea of you are never going to be older than, you know, 12 years old in anyone's mind. Like your character was, was solidified in youth mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter none of the none of it matters except for the role you played in your family from the start yeah and i think it's particularly interesting because um reina is so kind of reina's mom's words like echo in her head she's so keenly aware of like her family with and their relationship to her and and how they perceive her and how they feel about her but Alicia's made a really interesting choice here because her sister is literally in a polyamorous relationship with two brothers. Right. 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 So, which is like on the down low, but like, I mean, is obviously happening, right? So yeah. this kind of, this, and it sort of underscores that feeling of reality is sort of unnecessary when it comes to family. Yes. Reality is never, is never actually the way a family perceives its part, its members. It reminded me a lot of the sisters in Joanna Shoup's Uptown Girl series. Mm-hmm. Even though Florence and Mamie are like wild ones, and Justine, when Justine yes. steps out, they're like, what are you doing? And I yeah. was like, wait, what? And I think that Kelly is really like my sister. Mm-hmm. I don't have a sister of my own, but I find any romance with sisters, I just love it so much. Yeah. I mean, sisters are complicated. And it's clear that Alicia has a sister, too, um, because they are, there is a complexity to that relationship that is really authentic here in this book. But let's, I want to go to Micah because Micah has this really dark past. Very dark, yeah. And we know that from the beginning something terrible has happened to him, and it turns out that he's scarred. 
I love a scarred hero. Of course. On his face and on his back. It's interesting because he can't hide what's on his face, but he doesn't really want her to see his back. And it turns out that two years earlier, uh, a longtime model of his and friend, they were not lovers, had a very jealous boyfriend convinced that she was cheating on him with Micah. And he shows up in the studio and stabs Micah like several times and scar like cuts his face and then leaves him for dead. Yeah. And this has created I mean obvious I mean know, I I don't I don't even know the obvious, you know, trauma for Micah, but also trauma in the way that he I mean this part's really interesting sees himself who was I before and how can I get back there is sort of the way he perceives what he wants I just want to get back to that place but the art he makes is different his relationship with his loving parents is is different um and he part of his fleeing to Florida was sort of this I just need to be I need to be somewhere where I nothing reminds me of the right. my life in London. Well, and that's where I was going with doubt. Yeah. There is such immense doubt in Micah. Mm-hmm. Um, doubt about him, obviously himself physically, but also about his art. Yeah. You know, he hasn't been able, you know, uh, I mean, I love this. This is, I mean, it's such short, it's such shorthand in romances and I fucking love it. But like he couldn't paint before he noticed that she was watching him and like that's the same as he can't sleep it's scotty right i can't sleep without you yeah um and so in this so he's got these kind of deep rooted insecurities that are reasonable that are born of trauma yeah um and then he has on top of it this kind of sense of he at the moment they sort of interact for the first time physically once like once they've had sex it becomes it sort of all weights it gets very weighted down mm-hmm. for him and not in a the book doesn't get weighted down but like suddenly everything feels heavier with yes doubt yes. that he can do this that he can you know and so they make a sex deal i mean i love a sex deal and by the way it was <laughs> So she says, I have some conditions. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she lists them. And then she's the one who says, and you can't fall in love with me. I and I was like, perfect, girl. I love this fucking woman it's so much. perfect. Right? I can't fall in love with me. And it's the end of the chapter. And then the next chapter, it's so brilliant, is her saying or thinking to herself. Yeah. And I can't fall in love with him either. Yeah. But to have her be the one that says, like, this is the danger. We're going to do this. Um, but to be his muse is, I mean, yeah. Oh, is well, there anything they, they hotter? Make, so they make this sex deal. He's a yeah. painter. I mean, this is one of those situations, you know, Jen and I talk all, or Jen, not me. Jen talks all the time about fossils, right? <laughs> right. About the way that, you know, we've talked, uh, we did a whole episode on competence porn, right? Mm-hmm. Like this idea that people who are exceptionally skilled at their work or at an at a task um, are sexy in some way, right? Painters get that, you know, on steroids because they're also artists, yeah. Hello. And I mean, if you put a painter on the page, the promise of the premise is that he's going to want to paint her. Obviously. That he's going to want to 
paint her portrait. It's if you put a photographer on the page, the promise of the premise is they're going to take pictures of the other character of the of the other love interest. And so in this particular case, of course, we get to this place where, you know, he is sort of struggling. You can sort of see that they are dancing around each other. They've had a one night stand. The deal was just one night. I love a just one night deal. Just to get it out of his system. There's no condoms. Uh, Perfect. And she's like, what kind of, you should have stopped for them on the way over. You knew what we were going to do. <laughs> yeah. And then if you know or follow Alicia online, you know Alicia has a purse love. And oh, yeah. so there's like this, it's it's like a little Alicia Rye Easter egg when it's Raina great. like starts throwing purses out of her closet just looking for one that might have a condom in it. Um, anyway, uh, so they have this one night sex thing and then they separate for a week and it's clear that like neither of them are happy. They want to go back to this. It was intense right. and like the best sex that they've ever had. And it was terrific sex PS. And of then course. he, I mean like terrific, like back breaking. It was amazing. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, they get to, um, and then, you know, he meets, they, you know, he goes to her family's restaurant to find her and they make a deal that they're going to do it again. Mm-hmm. But he's so in his head about what that experience is and like fear of a relationship or fear of emotions or fear of, you know, commitment because of everything that it could mean in the long run for him traumatically. He kind of throws in like a like McGreeve brain kind of, yeah. you know, well, why don't you let me paint you? Like, yeah, I want to paint you. And then that's the deal. They're going to work. It's a ticking clock. She's so, she's so deftly layers for a carrot for a book that doesn't have a ton of, 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 phys, of, um, external conflict. She deftly layers these kind of really cornerstone romance tropes, right? Like just one night, just to get it out of my system, Mm -hmm. sex deal, um, ticking clock because I'm going to paint this portrait of you and it's going to require a series of sketches and then a painting, but you can't love me. And so by layering in all these like really deep internal conflict things, plus these tropes, you've got yourself a really meaty book, and it oh, yeah. proves that you don't need, you know, if you're doing this deftly, if you're doing this layering deftly as a writer, you don't need the extra stuff. There's not a single fossil in here. And there is a lot of, like, painting, like, families, food. Everything counts, though. The thing that I also thought was so sexy in this book was about, like, being naked. About... Mm-hmm how comfortable she was with her body and yeah. how much she loved him watching her and drawing her. And that was so fascinating to me because that's not something I feel, but just in the world, right? But just that I, I loved that part of her. And I felt like it's one thing to show us or tell us, right? I mean, I think we talk a lot about, like, show versus tell. But, like, here's a woman who's like, yeah, I love sex. It's great. But... And I've never been ashamed of my past, starting with the boy I got caught who I let feel me up at 13. But the way in which she loves just, like, posing for him, it's just such a, a, an amazing way of showing that. 
And the way that he, like, there's a part where, like, they get so caught up in each other that they agree to, like, set a timer for two hours. Like, they have to get two hours of work in before they can, you know, like, stop, right? To, yeah. to have sex. And it's so, I mean, it's so intense. It's, like, supercharged. And this is why I think, you know, talking about this as erotic romance, the intimacy at the beginning, right? The one night stand, which is at her house. And then most of the rest of their love affair is at his house mm-hmm. where they're like hidden away. You know, he doesn't really have any furniture. It's just in the studio or, and then there's a scene where it's in his room. I mean, if you want to like, if you were like, I don't understand what people mean when they talk about how the sex scenes are doing work, pay attention to the ways in which the, where they are, who could who interrupts them how it feels when they are interrupted right because there's two different scenes where like their mothers interrupt yeah one is right she's sleeping at his house and the phone rings and it's I his love mother. that scene with his mom yeah it's so it does so much emotional um work and heavy lifting I don't want to I, I want you to finish but then I want to come back to that scene no no mom. go ahead because then we can talk about the scene with her mother, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. the same, but very different. Yeah. So it's four o'clock in the morning and granted like his family lives in England. So right. fine. It's late, but uh, it's later there, but um, it's four o'clock in the morning and Raina is sleeping in his bed and the phone rings and she, he has the same phone ring as she does. So she picks up the phone and it's his mom saying, uh, hello. <laughs> and, and she's like, oh shit. Like it's his mother. I shouldn't have answered, but they have this really kind of sweet, quick conversation where Raina describes herself to his mother as his model, which yeah. is not inaccurate, but they've just boned till next Tuesday. So sure. it's, you know, not exactly accurate either. <laughs> But she doesn't know what else to say because how do you describe what's happening between them? So she says she's his model. And then she gets up and finds him painting or she finds him in his studio, like, fussing around. And she says, your mom called. And he's like, you talked to my mom. Yeah. And she said, and then he says, I have to call her back. Like, she calls me at odd times. And it's so clear that she calls him at odd times because she is concerned about his safety. Like, she, too, has been traumatized as a a mother. As as a mother. Right? So she calls, so he calls her back and Raina is listening and she's, and he says, no, no, she's my model. Yeah. And there's a little bit of, like, heartache there. Yeah. That's just about, so I, when I, Eric and I started dating when we were practically babies and, um, I was, it was the first Thanksgiving that he came home with me to Rhode Island from New York. Um, And we had been, I mean, like he had moved to New York for me. Like we were together. There was no like. Ambivalence. um, No, we were together. And so we were at the mall at my parents, like 
sure. in my parents' hometown. Because what else do you do when you're in the suburbs but go to the mall? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so we were at the mall, and we met the woman who, um, there was, you know, a woman sort of called my name, and I turned around, and the woman standing there, there was a woman standing there, and she had been my babysitter when I was young. My my mom had worked, um, you know, my, both my parents worked, and so a few days a week I had gone to this, like, woman's house. Like, she had sure. She had a sitting service. And so I had basically grown up like at this woman's house and she recognized me in the mall. And so we had, we hugged and I turned to introduce her to Eric and I looked at Eric, this man who I was like, you know, having sex with (laughs) and like who had moved across the country for me. And I said, this is my friend, Eric. Yeah. And she was like, oh, Eric, it's nice to meet you. And they, you know, shook hands and whatever. Right. And afterward, he was so mad at me yeah. because I had called him my friend. friend instead of, like, my boyfriend or my, I mean, I don't know. Right. We were, it was so, it, but it was that moment where I was like, I didn't know, I felt weird. Like, yeah. even in that moment, right, articulating the relationship in a, like, significant way. Yeah. Um, which is crazy. So there was, there's just a very real moment. It's a very real moment when like somebody says to says, oh, this is my, no, she's my model. And you're like, oh, but we just, you know, we just had backbreaking sex. Like, (laughs) right. Are you kidding? Right. But she didn't. And so there's, and that sort of sense of both. She wants it both ways, too. She doesn't want to acknowledge that it's a relationship, but she also doesn't just want to be the model. So anyway, Eric, you married me, ultimately. <laughs> and now when I introduce you, I do call you my husband. So Well done. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I figured it out in the long run. <laughs> okay. So this scene where her mother interrupts them. Mm-hmm. I think... It's different. <laughs> it's different, but it's brilliant in a different way because... Remember, old, old Raina was this, like, troublemaker who was with too many men. And and she's really, her mother is in her head. And she really wants to please her mother. And so this is one of the first times that we see them then having sex again in Raina's home. And, like, he's come over and he just, like, can't wait for her. And you're like, oh, it's going to be good. And they're, like, literally, like, you know, on the couch. They can't even make it upstairs. And the door opens. And it is such a powerful, like, emotional moment where you see, like, we have been adults doing something fun in my home that I own. Mm-hmm. But now my mother has walked in and I'm 16 again. Yeah. And again, like, the sexual journey of this couple from one night stand now to, like, really, like... I don't know, uncovering Raina's, like, most painful, like, I don't know, like, self-abnegation, right? The ways in which she really has internalized all these things her mother has felt about her. It's, you know, it's her, like, having to, like, worry her boobs are falling out of her bra, which had been, you know what I mean? It's really to be 32 and have your mother, like, have that power over you still. Yeah. But, I mean, that's real, too. Of course it is. I mean, that's why I love this book so much, is it's so sexy. And it is, like, on the surface, this kind of easy, erotic romance. 
But every word is so perfectly chosen and every scene is so perfectly crafted. And that scene, I mean, like, you and I are in our 40s, Jen. (laughs) And we text about our moms sometimes. We do. And, like, because it's complicated, that relationship. Of course. You know, it's that, that old adage that, like, your family knows where where your buttons are because they installed yes. them. Yes, right. And your mother's mothers install buttons, especially yes. your daughters. Especially. Yes. Oh yeah. And I mean, the other thing I was thinking as I was reading this is like I was like, look, I'm a white lady, so the the cultural level of what's going on right. in Raina's family and like her disappointment of her mother and you know the expectation of like marriage and right like I don't I can't I don't think I'm the right person to sort of speak to that. Right. In particular, but the ways in which that like push pull between our mothers and and how how we want to be ourselves, but still like what Raina wants is her mother's acceptance for of who course. she is now, right? Not who she has to turn into be. And this is true for all of them. But the scene where she and her mother then like essentially fight on the front steps of her house mm-hmm. while Micah is inside, awkward. <laughs> But also, like, so powerfully symbolic of, like, you can't, who, the person who gets to be in my home is the person who accepts me for who I am. And she tells him, like, you have to stay here. And there's this beautiful line where she thinks, I, something about, like, she knew she'd need him to console her. And then, here it is, like, you've been preparing your whole life to, like, say the things you need to say to your mother. You know, like the part where her mother essentially calls her promiscuous. Yeah, like well, you're never then, gonna, you're never gonna get a man, and now's your chance. You're still pretty. That's all you've got going for you. It is. It was devastating to read it. Yes, and then there's and there's that moment too where Raina names it, like really yeah. says it, and she says, "If I were a man, you wouldn't care if I was sowing my wild oats." And yeah. the mom says, "You're not a man. You're a woman." And this is the way the world works. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and then she says, like, it shouldn't work that way. And then there's a whole, you know, don't you want to get married? I mean, like, that whole argument is so important. And then on top of it, there's so much packed in. And there's, like, the conversation about Micah as an artist, like, where the mom is like, I've thrown doctors at you. What are you doing? Like, you are a mess. And it feels so heavy. Like, again, just it weights the whole thing down with this very powerful sense of, like, this isn't this isn't external conflict that can be resolved. This is some right. internal shit that has yes. to be unpacked and, like, restructured. And there is, as you said, there's a whole separate layer of this that is about the fact that Raina is Desi. Culturally, this is, you know, I'm this, I mean, I'm also a white lady, so it's different. You know, I'm not able to speak to it either, but I think that that, that my, the cultural, the cultural experience, Raina's cultural experiences is, is so Im- beautifully imbued in this whole book as you know, as was her sister's in Glutton for Pleasure, which is, you know, really centers Everybody knows I love, you know, food as a love language, but also, you know, the sister is a chef. So, like, you know, their rest, their restaurant is an Indian restaurant. Like, there's so much richness to this, too, from that perspective. But, I mean, Alicia doesn't let up. It's all there. It's all out there. 
All along, as a reader, I'd been sort of wondering, well, wait, what was the problem with old Reina? Like, what exactly was wrong? And I think then this is the moment where you as the reader are like, well, wait, nothing was wrong with you. You're trying to please someone who, like, if you have to change yourself so fundamentally, if you have to, like, sort of say, that's not who I'm going to be at all anymore, then this isn't, you know, this isn't great either. And I think this is also the moment where I started as she's, like, fighting with her mother. Even though I'd read this book before, I was like, Micah's about to fuck this up. Mm. Because he is not as brave as she is. He's been hiding away. She has been, too, to a certain extent. But this is the moment where she really, like, sort of says to her mom, like, look, you're not going to do this to me anymore. I'm, I, I can't. And so to have the, like, double whammy, essentially, of this fight with her mother then be followed up by this breakup with her man, I mean... <laughs> cried a little, Sarah. I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. I was like, this no, is devastating. It's so emotional. I mean, it Alicia, really is. I mean, the, the scene with the mom is. It's amazing. It's really beautiful. And it, you know, there's the moment where the mom, uh, I forget what word she uses, but she basically is like, you're too emotional for this. Like, I can't have this conversation with you. And like, I mean, there's that, it, it just, it hurts so much. I mean, like, That's such an infuriating thing to hear from anyone. Like, you're, I can't, you're being unreasonable. But when you hear it from your parent, right, from your mother, it feels so personal. It feels like you're not understanding that, like, I'm emotional because I'm emotional. Like, because I'm having actual real emotions in this moment. Like, so you're right. I'm being emotional. But, like, I need you to acknowledge it. And instead, and I mean, look my mother's English. So, you know, <laughs> emotions are not allowed like yeah. in this scenario and it, and it feels really real. Like it, Oh, it's beautiful. And Micah, I mean, Micah's doing, but at the same time, like Micah makes, you know, does this breakup, but it makes like, he's just trying to figure out how to make it better. God, men, men are so dumb. I like, how do I solve the problem? Yeah. He has his own issues with his parents and, you know, he has to work through. But the thing that she says to him at this moment is like, you would, you just, I'm just a step to you. You're just on some journey back to like being your normal self. And I was just a step. And part of me is like, I wonder if I like repressed all this because it was like so hard to read. It was so good. This is what romance is so good at. But this moment where to be let down by everyone at the same time. It was just so devastating. And then to have her sisters be the one, the ones who don't let her down was. It's the right choice. It is the right choice because we need these people to be whole and moving forward. And so the the best part is like, she calls her sister and she's like, I think I'm going to cut my hair. And Mm -hmm. Lena's like, I'll be there in 10 minutes. (laughs) And I was like, and then we get this scene where like, there's finally the sisters talk to each other and, you know, sort of admit all the things that they had been feeling. And, you know, 
I still am like, I had forgotten how much I wanted Lena's book and hope that Alicia still has that in her brain somewhere because like a short story, a paragraph, like a quick update on Lena. But I think that that's the part then when we get the sisters that you really profoundly realize that her alienation from her mother she had allowed to sort of alienate herself from her sisters too mm-hmm. and her own her own anger at herself for like doing something dumb and being i mean it just really was and so then you realize like oh the thing that old reina did was like care too much but act too fast mhm and and then her sisters are the ones who are like that's okay though we love you oh god sarah the emotional journey of this book, yes, with each of them individually as a couple, and then with their families, and it's so tightly done. It's so good. It's really what's fascinating about it is you can see all the bones of Alicia's later books here, right? Yes, I was thinking that too. I can't imagine an Alicia Rye book that doesn't really deeply explore all these like complicated emotional Mm -hmm. relationships within families. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about her forbidden heart series and how family plays such an important role in all of those books. Yes. She has to be one of the best romance writers writing families. Oh yeah. This kind of family dynamic, the, the skill that she has for it is not seen regularly. I mean, like, I think about it, right? Because I think about all the books that we talk about that we love and how few of them have families. I mean, certainly in those, in older romances, like, you know, romances that come, you know, this season we're talking about modern romance. But when you look back to romance prior to, say, 2010, families often are left by the wayside. Like, maybe yeah. there's one family member. But, like, the complex nuance of family isn't something that you see that often in romances, you know, except for when you see them in, like, big family romances. But even then, you never get into the dirty bits. Yes. Yeah. You know, like the the unpleasant conversations that happened, like the way that we push the buttons we installed. Um, that doesn't happen in the Bridgerton books. It doesn't happen in the Sinster novels. Like it no. happens in this book. And you know, I mean, to be fair, sometimes I can get overwhelmed by that because the way that this book works for me so well is I mean, if I wanted to read about big, like, family dramas, I probably wouldn't read a lot of romance. So to have, I mean, this is like a real tightrope that Alicia's walking, and I she's just good she's at just it. She's just good at it. And yes. the focus is so intensely on them for so much of the book. But you realize there's all these, like, breadcrumbs that family drama is what's causing them to sort of retreat from the world, and they're, they, there's this way in which they're profoundly alike. And then to have it all kind of, like, bubble up, both as, like, the kind of the inciting incident for the breakup is mom's arrival. But also the the fixing of it is her sister's. And I think that that's the part where it's so well done because it helps us understand why they weren't working or why they couldn't work. 
And so then when we see her, I mean, especially Raina with her sisters, when we see the way this is changing and working, it all helps me understand how their love story is going to play out. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, again, that's a specific need for romance that I want the romance to be first. And I think that that's why this book is so, is so perfect. The romance is first, but we're never, it's not like them, the phone booth is like them, you know, the family's all there still too. It's not just nothing else exists. That's why if it has, like I said at the beginning, it has that feel of like being private and mm-hmm. voyeuristic when they're together alone. But yeah. like then sudden, they're, what's amazing is it, it does, like she so deftly shows you that there's a world outside the phone booth. Yeah. I don't know how she does it. It's really well done. Oh, yeah. And then on top of it, it's so romantic. Oh, yeah. The the painting at the end. Where oh, he, I mean, God. like, please, put it in my veins, right? Like, where he, like, <laughs> yeah. paints her in a way. The queen He's of never, my heart. I'm right. Curtains, arms, heart open, all for you. Like, it's so, like, desperately romantic. Yeah. And, like, all you want is these two broken people to be together. And, like, but then they're not broke. Like they, they're not broken, they right? They themselves together. I mean, I do love the fact that he calls a therapist at some point. Yes. Makes an appointment that feels so, like, modern and great. Like, and evolved. also that he says to her, like, I don't want you to be one of my steps because I want to. And, I mean, this is brilliant, too, right? The problem with a very broken person in a romance is you have to believe that they can be healthy on their own without the other person. Of course. So the fact that, I mean, I will say it's not really groveling necessarily, but like the, you know, sometimes I, you know, I want, you know, the whole, there's like a conversation sometimes about like that third act breakup in a romance and it feels like fake to some people, mm-hmm. right? It's just like, a, this is the way the plot goes, so they have to break up. And then, like, the next morning, they realize, like, oh, I made a mistake. And I really loved that this book took six weeks, mm-hmm. you know, really for him to figure out, hey, I need to, I need to, like, get myself right. And show her that I can do that independent of her. And, th- and and a really other important part of that is he finds artistic, um, you know, he talks to his old model. And he, like, she helps him, like, envision that this is not, like, going back to his old life, but just, like, a new part of who he is. It'll just be different. And he feels a spark of, I don't know, like, artistic whatever people have when they're artists, right? Inspiration that is not about Raina. And I thought that was really important. Important. Right? Yes. It it's not like I'm now I mean, I've now tied my well being to you. Yeah. Muse isn't a great role for a partner. No. Um it's great. That sex scene where he paints her, forget <sighs> it. It's so good. And it's, again, like, it's like, that's the promise of the premise, right? An erotic romance with a painter. They're definitely going to have sex and there's going to be a paintbrush involved. And like, and it is great. I mean, like, it is a really, it is a magnificent book. Um, It remains my favorite of Alicia's books. I still love A Gentleman in the Street. (laughs) This, but you know what? This and Serving Pleasure and Glutton for pleasure, I guess. All three of them are, like, pretty tied, though. They're all so good. 
if you are out there and you are thinking like, how do I write erotic romance, but like really level up in some yeah. way, um, I think you would be hard pressed to find somebody who does it better than this. It is such a complicated book and yes. so deftly written. Like it's so, it seems so simple and it yeah. is so complicated. And I just, I mean, it's, it's really a magnificent romance and it, it gave me a lot of joy to reread it this week. Um, oh God. Yes. Yeah. And it just made I, me happy and yeah. it made me hungry <laughs> and it made me like want to just like, you know, why it made me happy because it has been a while since I have read a book that I really, really loved, like really wanted to like roll around. Savor. Yeah. That's, I read this really slow. Yeah. Cause it is like a, it's a warm hug of a, yeah, it is. Well, a hot, sexy man bear of a, I've got a man bun hug. Sure. (laughs) I mean, yeah, all of that too. I mean, the devil of downtown, right? But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just great. If you did not read it this week and you are having existential despair, like Jen and I are like, this is a really solid choice for a read in the lead up to the election. Mm hmm. It's going to make you really happy. So I was thinking a lot about women in the world. And one of the things I was I was thinking a lot about is, and we talked about this a little earlier, but like Raina is, so she's a daughter, she's a sister, she's like the front woman at the restaurant. There's a way in which this is such a whole picture of her, both for like all the things that she does so well but also all of the ways in which it's hard to recognize the things we do well. And I, I felt like there's something that really moved me about this in 2020. Here we all are having 20 spinning plates going at a time. And I don't just mean women now. I just mean all of us. And we have our, the things we worry about and our, our personal desires, our professional desires, our family obligations, and the thing that she says over and over again that just really moved me is, like, she has this realization that she doesn't want marriage. She just wants love. That's what she says to her mom in that fight. Yeah. And she kind of is able to name it, but it's the point where she realizes they're not the same. My mom wants me to be married. I want love. And Micah is the one I can have that with. Yeah. And it's so powerful. This I, Like, it's what romance is again like supposed to do is say like you and all your imperfections are still brilliant and amazing and fucking perfect and you deserve love Mm -hmm. oh so good sarah i know i'm really glad we picked this one it was such a pleasure to reread it it really was uh lena lena broke up with (laughs) a boyfriend i mean clearly lena's being set up but go read forbidden hearts i guess you know, people have heard me say this. People are like, are you ever going to write a romance? And I was like, yeah, God, no, I don't have that in me. I don't, my brain does not think that way. But I spent a lot of time this morning thinking about Lena and like, who would make Lena happy? Who does Lena need? And did you sort it out? No, because I'm not a fucking writer. Alicia, goddamn, can you just like leave I mean, me a voicemail and just <laughs> say she's happy? <laughs> like two sentences. <laughs> I have no idea. 
idea. God, I don't know what Lena needs, but she needs to be happy. <laughs> Fuck. I, here's my thing. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that if Alicia were here right now, she would tell you Lena is happy. Okay, well. That is the one promise of the premise that we all sort of agree on is if there was a halfway decent character in a book. Yeah, sure. He or she or they might not receive a happily ever after on page, but they definitely get one. (laughs) In our hearts. In theory. (laughs) If not in practice. I was like, maybe like a the Katie's. Okay, it is not available, by the way. I did check. All right. Well, I'm sorry, everyone. I teased you, but it was great. Those of us who have it still on our Kindle <laughs> no. from before are going to be rereading it. Woo. Um, okay, so what are we doing? So so now we are officially finished with the first uh, few reads of the season. We are harnessing, we are holding October close. Yes. Um, because we want to make sure that we celebrate um, joy, Mm-hmm. As much as we can. So we have invited some of our favorite people to come on the podcast for October yeah. and talk about books that give them joy and writing that gives them joy. Next week, we'll have Christina Lauren with us. Yep. Um, and they will be talking about fanfic and yeah, really how fun. they came to romance via fanfic and how much fanfic sort of inspires them and how much honestly it fanfic kind of inspires romance right now yes as a modern as a modern genre um and it was a great conversation i think because jen and i are not fanfic readers as a matter of course and so it was just fascinating but also really full of like talk about full of joy like these two people Love. They came on to talk about something they love. We also have a few extra, we have un- more guests coming for the rest of the month. They will all be speaking about things that they love too. Right. Um, some of them will feel more like interstitials. Some of them will feel more like conversations. We're just going to play it as play it yeah. as it lies, so to speak. Yeah. Jen and I are going to host, uh, Thursday, put it on your calendar, Wednesday, November 4th. We are going to do a live. Um, We don't know what that will look like. (laughs) Who can say what that will look like? Um, There will be a short episode that goes up uh, as usual on Wednesday the 4th um, that is taped. But we are going to host a live in the evening on the 4th. um, And we will have more information about that. What else do we want to say? Volunteer. Make calls. We have just, over the weekend, had our first um, Faded Mates uh, call. Faded States. Faded States. Excuse me. Faded States phone-a-thon. Lots of people showed up for it. Uh, Hopefully, it's this afternoon, but I'm going to speak in the past tense. I'm putting it into the world that lots of people showed up for it. Um, We had like 45. We have like 45 uh, RSVPs, so I feel good about it. Um, We're calling Kentucky this afternoon. Um, so we will, I'm sure, have tweeted and Instagrammed the, you know, feedback from it. And if it goes really well, we're planning to do maybe another one. So keep an eye on that. Join us for another one. There are giveaways and stickers and pins from Kelly. Um, and then what else? Sign up to text banks. Sign up to send postcards. Make sure that if you're voting early, you are voting as early as possible because we want to make sure every ballot gets counted. Yes. We're still real mad. Call your senators. Um, 
the new judicial nominee is going to be announced today. We are expecting it to be somebody just absolutely atrocious. So yeah. um, make sure you're calling your senators. You're making sure that you're telling them that you want the McConnell rule re- to be enforced and that the winner of the election should be the one to seat the justice. Keep your eye on the prize in that sense. Uh, they want to distract us by the nominee herself, but I really think we got to focus on them power grabbing here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people, we're going to just keep fighting. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Keep loving, too. Same. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. All right, my loves, we will see you next week with Christina Lauren. Yeah. Stay safe out there. Hi, everyone. My name is Nisha Sharma, and I am the author of The Takeover Effect, which is the first in the Singh Family Trilogy about three brown billionaire brothers. Uh, Jen and Sarah had suggested that I call in about a book that bloodied me, and it's taken me a while to come up with one because, for me, that category has such emotional significance um, from the time in my life that I read the book. So finally, um, my recommendation is Angel's Blood by Nalini Singh. Um, Angel's Blood is a paranormal romance. It came out in 2009, and um, it's the first in the Guild Hunter series. I was in the second year of law school, um, my second year of law school at the time, and Nalini was the new-to-me author. I found her book on a best-of recommended list, and I had kind of been exhausted with Twilight Fever at the time. I was exhausted with the vampire myths that were coming out. But Nalini's book took this vampiric legend and flipped it on its head, and then she added angels to the mix. Yes, angels. (laughs) In the story, you have um, a human guilt hunter who is basically like a modern take on Buffy. Um, And I was obsessed with Buffy growing up, so I was there from the very beginning for this book. And then you also have this archangel who is at a point in his life where he's losing his sense of humanity and compassion, um, and he has very little regard for human life. Um, so there's technically no way these two can ever be together, and you feel like it's doomed from the beginning. But then um, this brilliant, beautiful, sparkling love story sprouts through this terrible conflict until you're crying at the very end of the story, swearing you'll never read another romance until, unless this book has an HEA. And um, spoiler, it says, but man, you are dragged through a very difficult journey to get there. So Nalini renewed my obsession in, um, in paranormal romance, and I have become a lifelong fan and gratefully a friend of hers. I highly recommend this book to anyone who wants alpha males and deadly heroines and forbidden love stories. Thanks, Jen and Sarah, for your fabulous podcast, and I can't wait to hear everyone else's books that bloodied them. Have a good one.